0: Hey, I would love for you to join us in one of our three Christmas Eve services on December the 24th at the Orchard Church. We have two regular services at 4 and 6 and a higher risk service at 2 p.m. that day. All the details are available at 4gilmer.com. That's F-O-R-G-I-L-M-E-R, 4gilmer.com. You can find out all about it and reserve your seat there for one of our two regular services or our higher risk service at 2 p.m. We've all had to miss out on so many things this year, but don't miss out on celebrating Christmas. Join us on Christmas Eve as we celebrate the arrival of Jesus and worship Him together. Merry Christmas. Hey, this is Steve, and this podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Today, you know, in the holiday season of 2020, a bizarre year where we desperately need some hope that the Messiah is in fact working out his great plan for us. The prophet Isaiah was able to clearly see who the Messiah was and what he was gonna be doing. And today we're gonna dig into his word a little bit and we're gonna see how the Messiah is at work in and through you in this holiday season. Can you believe we're in the final month of 2020? Yeah. Yeah, it is finally winding down and it's kind of been a year that we are eager to see wind down, am I right? I mean, 2020 has not been our best of years. I think about the, obviously, the shutdown and the isolation and, the, and all the stuff that we've gone through. Remember the students were out of school for months uh, when they should have been in school, uh, restaurants are, can't figure it out, some restaurants are, you know, restricted tables, some restaurants are closed altogether, we're social distancing, we wear masks, uh, I, I walked around Ingalls the other night, I was, I think, the only one not wearing a mask, I left mine at home, I just forgot it, and I walked through there, and uh, it just seems like it's it's been kind of a weird year, and you'll look around, and there's a lot of us, a lot of us that are I don't know, missing, that aren't here, that haven't come back yet. Um, It's just been kind of crazy, and it's it's taking its toll on us, not to mention all the other things that have gone wrong in 2020 between the division and the unrest, you know, and the injustice and the politics and all of that junk has kind of coalesced into this terrible, terrible, it seems like, year. As far as the pandemic is concerned, I know most of us back in, you know, August, September, October, we were saying that it was all going to be miraculously gone right after the election, But that doesn't seem to be the case, right? In fact, if anything, we're getting really mixed signals about it. I mean, we know that uh, the vaccines are waiting to be deployed as soon as they get the go-ahead to be deployed. Millions of, of doses of the vaccine to go out, and that should theoretically help start settling things down a little bit, but... Also, just this week, Anthony Fauci, the president's, on the president's coronavirus task force, said that we may not get back to normal until fall of 2021. When is fall? It's right now, right? I mean, fall ends at the end of December, pretty much. December 21st this year. So fall, I mean, we, we may not get back to normal for another year? What? I mean, this thing, just how long is this going to keep dragging on? How long is this going to just keep knocking us around? It's easy to ask the question, and I really hope you're going to take notes this morning because this is a good message this morning. I hope you're going to take notes, and this is the first blank on your page if you're following along. It's really easy to ask the question, has God abandoned us? Has God abandoned us? You know, even for us believers, us staunch believers, it can kind of seem that he has, right, to some degree. You look in America today, and church attendance has been on a long decline downward. You know, it's, it's been easing down closer and closer and closer down uh, to where it's, it's kind of getting to where it seems like church might just go away. And then the pandemic came, and there was this massive drop. And we've seen businesses start to come back, retail, restaurants have come back, but church engagement has remained extremely low. This has been a long problem that we've had. In fact, we've been raising generation after generation that is farther and farther away from God. And today, millennials and Generation Z are by far the least spiritual generations that this country has ever seen. (coughs) This is really, really important, right? It's really important to us. According to Barna Research, what they have discovered is that people who are not engaged in the body of Christ report significantly higher levels of anxiety and fear and purposelessness. They experience significantly higher levels of insecurity and even boredom. They don't know why they're here or what they're doing, and they're afraid Shouldn't be a surprise to us, right? I mean, Jesus told us that if we aren't abiding together in him, then we're like a branch cut off from the vine and without him we wither and we die, right? Paul talked about even a believer who is not engaged in the body of Christ is like a, is like a body part that is severed from the rest of the body and what hope does that part have? It just withers and dies. This is who we're becoming, the largest population segment that we have. Millennials and Generation Z. We've raised a generation. We're creating a nation of anxiety, fear, purposelessness, insecurity, and boredom that's who we are becoming as a nation and then these crises come like the pandemic like the politics and we don't even know who we are anymore and we aren't equipped to deal with them and so it throws us into even more anxiety even more fear even more or less purpose so has God withdrawn his spirit from our nation have we just blown it too badly for too long to where he's just moving on He's just moving on somewhere else where maybe their hearts are open and they're looking for him? Isaiah could have asked the same question. You know, because even though he was a prophet to Israel some 2,700 years ago, even though their culture was dramatically different than ours, even though their language was different, their thought thought processes were different, Isaiah and his people had some of the same issues, right? Israel at the time was experiencing major division, right? It used to be one nation, but it had, during Isaiah's lifetime, split into two. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Judah and Judea. There was great political turmoil. There's a lot of anger and angst and unrest in their nation, And Isaiah had seen good king after bad king after good king after bad king come along. And like today, those kings, they weren't relying on godly wisdom to lead their nation. They were relying on secular wisdom. They had decided to kind of step away from God and do what seems right. And they were building alliances with all of the wrong nations. I don't know. Does any of this sound familiar at all? So Isaiah was living in a time where where there was great struggle. And Israel, Israel was a nation that, not like America, you know, America is founded on biblical principles. Israel wasn't founded on biblical principles. Israel was founded by God himself. God chose those people to be a light to the world, to shine God's light in the darkness, but they had long. Drifted away from him. They had long raised up generation after generation that just didn't know him anymore. And so as Isaiah writes his work, he speaks for God. And here's how he starts off his letters. This is actually chapter one of Isaiah. Speaking for God, he says this, the children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows its owner, And a donkey recognizes its master's care, but Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but it sounds eerily recognizable to me. Sounds like it could be describing us today. We started out based on God's biblical gospel principles And we have drifted far, don't even recognize him anymore. And look at what Isaiah says are the results of this. Look at Isaiah uh, 1, verses 5 through 8. Isaiah says, why do you continue to invite punishment? Must you rebel forever? Could he be talking to us as well? He says, look at this. He says, your head is injured and your heart is sick. You're battered from head to foot, covered in bruises and welts and infected wounds without any soothing ointments or bandages. Your country lies in ruins. Your towns are burned. Foreigners plunder your fields before your eyes and destroy everything they see. Huh. These are the results of rebelling from God. Head injured, heart sick, battered all over, no soothing relief, towns burned, and foreigners plundering fields head injured i mean would you agree that our head that our leaders are broken that there's nothing but division and conflict and problem with the heads of our nation would you agree that our nation's heart number two heart is sick i mean our soul is deeply troubled in america today we don't even know who we are anymore And the result of that is battered all over. Number three, battered all over. I mean, look around, watch the news. All you gotta do is watch the news two days in a row and you feel battered all over, am I right? You feel all knocked around, beaten and bruised. And there's no soothing relief. That's the next one, no soothing relief, no soothing relief. Does anybody here feel soothed after the election has happened? I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on, I don't imagine anybody is feeling soothed and relieved from the election. And he says next, he says, Your towns are burned. And he says, Foreigners plunder fields, destroying everything. All you got to do is watch the news. I feel like China might just be eating our lunch. I feel like Russia might be eating our lunch. I feel like the illegal immigration problem may just be getting worse. I don't know that, you know, I don't know that God has abandoned us. I think the real question might be the next blank on your page. Have we abandoned God? Have we abandoned Him? Have we run far and hard away from Him? Because I know for generations now, we have done everything we can think of to push Him out of our government, to push Him out of our schools, to push Him out of our popular culture. You might even get flagged on Facebook if you talk about God. No wonder we don't sense the presence and the power of God. Because we have literally worked hard to push him away. So, is it possible that God has moved on? Is it possible that God's saying, okay, fine, you'll get your way? Okay, fine, the Messiah's work in your life is done. I'm through with you. Is it possible that it's over for us? I just want to tell you, I just want to tell you, this is not Isaiah speaking, this is Steve talking. I believe that there is a day coming when Jesus Christ will gloriously and utterly triumph over all his enemies. I think there is a day of victory that is coming where he ultimately wins it all. And that's what the gospel is all about. It's about the fact that you and I were caught in the clutches of the tomb. We were dead. We were spiritually dead. And that caused us to be rebels against God. We did everything we could. You, you and I did everything we could to push him away in our lives. Some of us are still doing that. Some of us, in the name of Jesus, claiming to be believers, are still working hard to push him out of our lives. You know, we'll come dip our toe in the church world on Sundays, but everything else in our lives reflects something much darker, something against Him. God made everything here, me and you and the entire world, as a beautiful reflection of Him, all to be aligned with Him, all to glorify Him, to perfectly point to Him, and we tore it all down. And we didn't just do this to ourselves. Oh no, it's much worse than that. Paul writes in Romans eight, he says this, he says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Remember God cursed us in the garden at the beginning, after he'd made everything beautiful and it wasn't good enough for us somehow. So we wanted more, we blew it, we rebelled against God and God cursed us. And he didn't just curse us, All creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. All creation, all creation is groaning in pain. So, so, so not only are we a people of anxiety and fear and purposelessness and insecurity and boredom, but all creation is groaning as well. It's not just us, it's everything. Again, watch the news. The United States alone has had 80 million acres of land burned up in wildfires this year, this year. Is creation groaning because of us? The pandemic, of course, has had its way all around the world. Millions, millions and millions have fallen victim to this disease. Creation is groaning. And not only that, but it's seemingly causing unrest. Can you believe the unrest that we have seen in our nation this summer and fall. And of course, all around the world, including in the US, poverty continues, injustice continues, war rages. But God's mysterious plan is still in effect. In Ephesians, Paul writes, he says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. Here, you ready? Here it is. This is the plan. At the right time. He will bring everything together. He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. All of creation may groan, and all of America may feel anxious and purposelessness, but he will bring everything in heaven and earth under his authority, and I think he cannot wait until that day. I think, the next blank on your page, that God is eager to reveal his glory God is eager. He's not holding back. He's not saying, fine, I'll just take my toys and go play elsewhere. No, that's not him. He is eager to reveal his glory. He cannot wait to show up and show off a little bit more. That means because of the cross, this world can be redeemed. And that this will all be set right once again. All of it right once again. Racism dead. No crime going unpunished. No pain going unhealed. Every sorrow turned to joy. God is eager for that day to happen because Jesus is stronger than all that. Jesus defeats every iota of that in our lives, He's stronger than your anxiety. He's stronger than your fear. He's stronger than your purposelessness. Hey, he's stronger than your impulses. He's stronger than your addictions. He's stronger than your finances. He's stronger than Democrats and Republicans put together. Amen? He's stronger than Antifa. He's stronger than rioting. He's stronger than China. He's stronger than the pandemic. Jesus is stronger than Satan himself, and he will win over all of it on that day. All of it. Can I get an amen? He's going to win over all of it. When we see him in his glory, it's all just gonna melt and evaporate away. My question, though, for us is this, and it's the next blank. Will I recognize him when I see him? Will I recognize him when I see him? Have we possibly drifted far enough away that we may just not recognize him? Isn't that our whole problem? Isn't that what Isaiah is pointing to? He says that even an ox knows its owner. A donkey recognizes its master's care, but, but the people of God don't even know their master. So what will he be like? What will it be like when he comes? Isaiah was looking forward to the first arrival of the Messiah, and we look forward to the second arrival of the Messiah. But there's something here that's in between the first and the second that I think we need to recognize. And Isaiah describes it for us. Now, you may recognize this passage from Isaiah. Isaiah 9 says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called. Say it with me. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You recognize that, right? This is who he is. Is. Do do we recognize this? He's a a counselor. A counselor is someone who asks the right questions. A counselor is someone who sees the bigger picture better than you can because you're just too close right now. So they ask the right questions, they see the bigger picture, and they can give guidance, advice, wisdom and help you walk your path. That's a counselor, but he's not just a counselor. Look, he's a wonderful counselor. His insight, his wisdom, and his advice is better than any the world has to offer. Can I get an amen on that? His word is like a lamp for our feet and a light to our path. He guides us on our journey. If we'll just listen to him, he is a wonderful counselor wonderful counselor. He knows for you and cares for you better than anyone. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. Mighty. He's mighty. That means he's powerful. Powerful. Couldn't you use a little more power in your life? I mean, I feel powerless a lot of the time. I mean, I feel power. It's amazing how powerless I feel sometimes. I feel powerless when I'm running late and I'm driving behind one of you doing 15 miles an hour in Kusawadi. <laughs> not only can I not get there, I can't go around. I feel powerless to lose the extra weight. You know, I'm over 50, my, my metabolism slowed way down. I feel powerless. I feel powerless. Because my friend Barry has gone home on hospice care. I don't know that I've got enough power to do anything. And I talk to you, I talk to you, and you feel powerless because of the finances. You feel powerless because of the addiction. You feel powerless because of your past. You feel powerless because somebody else is holding you down. But his power... His power is divine power. There is no power greater than his power. There's no power in the entire universe. I saw a thing on, I don't know, Discovery Channel about black holes colliding. And when they collide, they create this gravitational ripple effect that will change the whole universe. And if that happens near us, it will just destroy our planet. That's a lot of power. But even black holes colliding cannot hold a candle to the power of God. God's power is divine, and it's full of hope for you. So he's a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty, a powerful God, and he's a father. He's an everlasting father. He's a father. It means that he loves you. He cares for you. He protects you and provides for you. He's a good father. We sing that song, he's a good father. And he's an everlasting father. That means that he will never abandon you. He'll never walk away. I mean, not only will he not abandon you, but you'll never attend this father's funeral. This father will never leave you as he departs into Alzheimer's and becomes something someone else. Our Father is an everlasting. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He casts no shifting shadows. This world is currently shaking and we don't know which end is up. We don't know who we can trust. We don't even know what to believe watching the news anymore, but we can trust our everlasting Father. Because he cares for us and he is also the prince of peace. Boy, is this world shaking. It's like an ongoing earthquake. You ever been in an earthquake? I've been in some minor ones. I've been in a couple of minor ones, ones that I knew happened but didn't really have much of an effect. But man, an earthquake, what can you do to stop an earthquake? What can you do if you're in an earthquake? You're just a victim. And if it's a strong enough earthquake then all the structures around you collapse on top of you and kill you. And what happens is I've watched videos on YouTube of people who are in earthquakes, and you know what they do? They, they kind of panic. They run. They get out. Get out as fast as they can. If they can't get out, they get under something that will hopefully support the weight of the crashing building down. They panic because they don't know what to do. You don't have to live in the panic mode because he is the prince of peace. He brings peace. In the middle of the earthquake, he brings peace. And he doesn't just bring peace, but he brings the authority of peace. He brings peace with authority in your life. He brings royal peace into your life it's not just something that you can find and get to a little bit but he brings that thing that changes everything in your life he's the prince of peace so here's the thing will you recognize him when you see him because if anybody in the world should recognize him they're sitting in this room today because this description is the description of the messiah jesus who you say has come into your life and is changing you and this is what he brings. It means he's a wonderful counselor and he's turning you into a person of wonderful counsel, a person of wisdom, a person who understands and a person who can see that big picture and move accordingly. He is a mighty God, and he brings power into your life, turning you into a person of divine power. He's the everlasting father. It means he loves and cares for you, and he's turning you into a person like him who loves others and cares for others. And he's the prince of peace, bringing royal authority of peace. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the drama people. Not the pot stirrers, not the victim callers, not the accusers, but the bringers of royal peace. That's who he's making you into. Jesus says that he's making you into his image. And Paul writes that God points to us as examples of his good grace. He says, if you want to see me... Look in the mirror, and this is what you should see. When you live your life like Isaiah did, recognizing him. Isaiah had never seen Jesus because Jesus wouldn't come for a long time, hundreds of years, but Isaiah recognized him. And when we recognize him in our lives, then our lives begin to describe him in the way that we live. We begin to exemplify him. He transforms us, making us newer and newer and newer as we become remade in his image. Are you a part of that? In Philippians, Paul writes, work hard to show the results of your salvation obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you, God is giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. He says, work hard on this, lean into it. Stop sticking your toe in it every now and then or adding it into your life. Lean in hard because He's doing something in you. He's remaking something in you. Do you recognize it? Have you seen it? Philippians 3, he says, I want to know Christ. Do you want to know Christ? Do you want to experience his power? He says, I want to experience his mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I think we want to experience his power, but we don't want to suffer for it. And Jesus says, Everything about me is backwards, dude. Don't you know everything is is me about me is backwards? If you want to be a leader, you must become a servant. If you want to go to the top, you must go to the bottom. If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Do you want to know Christ? Recognize him and live the life he's called you to live when you're on mission with him it overflows out of you you don't just recognize him but others recognize him in you that's what it means to be brought under the authority of christ there's not just that day where he's going to do it but there's today when he's doing it in you and in me that's how it's happening he's bringing us all under his authority one heart and one step at a time so I believe there's that day coming but I also believe it's happening today so Isaiah recognizing him he calls us to Isaiah 1 wash yourselves and be clean get your sins out of my sight give up your evil ways learn to do good Seek justice. Help the oppressed. By the way, proud of you guys, every single kid who had a Christmas wish at Tower Road got taken and provided for by you. That's what Isaiah calls us to. That's who Jesus makes us. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. And then speaking for God, he says, come now, let's settle this. Though your sins are scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. That's what he does in us. As we continue to live in him, he continues to purify us, to clean us up and to make us more and more like himself. We call it sanctification. That's what He's doing in us. It's us living our lives recognizing Him and Him being recognized in us. So, last blank, live in recognition of Him.